Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode may contain content not suitable for some audiences, including crimes against children, mentions of suicide, descriptions of a graphic nature, and adult language at times. Listener discretion is advised. Lawrence Haggart was a popular and talented young man who lived in a two-storey, semi-detached house on Glenbervie Drive with his mother and two brothers. The boy's parents, Janet and Larry, had separated a few years earlier. But Lawrence and his brothers remained close with their father, who lived just around ten minutes away in Dunny Pace. It was from his father that Lawrence got his passion and skills for football. Larry wasn't just an avid Celtic supporter, but back in the day, he had played for the semi-professional football club called Aloha Athletics. Larry knew firsthand what it was like to pursue your dreams in the field and always supported his son's ambitions. From the very beginning, friends and family were sure, with his set of talents, Lawrence was destined for great things, and he had a future as a professional football player. In 1995, Lawrence took a huge step closer to that dream come true when he signed schoolboy forms for Celtic Football Club which plays in the top division of the Scottish Professional Football League. The sign-in was an incredible moment for the teenager, who had been a Celtic fan his entire life. And his great-uncle, Neely Mohan, 
had played in the team for seven years between 1953 and 1960. In fact, Lawrence showed such talent that it was expected he would soon sign professional forms with Celtic in December 1996 and was selected for Scotland's international under-15 squad in March. Still, Lawrence had a backup plan just in case his football career did not work out. If that were to happen, Lawrence wanted to become a physical education teacher and share his passion for sports that way. At the age of 15, Lawrence Haggart already had his life figured out, just for all his hopes and aspirations to be brutally ended in the most senseless crime. You are listening to True Crime Britain. Join me, Rhiannon, each Wednesday as I tell the solved and unsolved stories of some of the most disturbing, mysterious and heartbreaking crimes committed throughout the United Kingdom. Welcome to this week's episode. On the evening of March the 16th, 1996, Lawrence's brother, 17-year-old John, was getting ready for bed at their mother's house in Larbert while Janet was out at a birthday party. It was a rare occasion because, as a single mother, Janet had almost forgotten how to socialise. But considering her eldest son was already 17, she felt comfortable leaving the boys under John's supervision. Lawrence returned to the family home at around 10.30pm and his younger brother, 12-year-old Dennis, followed shortly after. The 15-year-old sat down in the living room to read a newspaper and spoke with both Dennis and John before they went to bed. John later said he heard Dennis going downstairs at some point, doing something in the kitchen, and Lawrence was talking to him before the house went quiet again. Eventually, John drifted off to sleep, but at around 1.20am, he woke up to a worrying smell, as if something was burning. John opened his eyes and saw smoke slowly filling his room. John immediately rushed downstairs to see where the smoke was coming from, but nothing could have prepared him for the scene he was about to encounter in the living room. There, in the middle of the floor, lay Lawrence, unconscious and his head bruised and bleeding. The 15-year-old wasn't moving, but John was able to hear his brother's laboured breaths over the sound of the fire crackling at Lawrence's feet. It was evident that something had been purposely piled there and set alight. John did his best 
to pull Lawrence as far away as he could from the fire before dousing the flames on his brother's legs. Afterwards, John noticed the front door of the house was wide open, but the street was empty. Whoever had attacked Lawrence was already gone. John then ran upstairs to check on Dennis, who shared a room with Lawrence. The 12-year-old's room was also full of smoke, but the boy was unharmed. As Dennis followed his big brother downstairs, Janet returned home to find one of her boys severely injured. While the distressed mother desperately cried and comforted her son, John entered the bathroom to call 999. It only took the police and paramedics a few minutes to arrive at the scene, and Lawrence was rushed to hospital, where emergency surgery was performed in an effort to save his life. Meanwhile, the Haggart home was investigated as the authorities tried to make sense of what had happened to the teenager. It was soon determined that the fire at Lawrence's feet had been ignited in a pile of clothes and another fire had spread from the couch nearby where the teenager's duvet was found. The investigators didn't find any traces of any accelerants but they believed both fires were deliberately ignited using a lighter, likely with the purpose of destroying the crime scene and any evidence left behind. No signs of forced entry were found, meaning Lawrence had either opened the door for his assailant himself or they had gained access to the home in another way without leaving any evidence behind as the police had also failed to locate the weapon used during the attack. Whatever the perpetrator had used had caused devastating injuries to Lawrence's head, including serious skull fractures. After the surgery, the teenager was put on life support while everybody hoped that this promising football star would pull through. Larry and Janet remained by Lawrence's side all that night and the following day just waiting for a miracle but sadly later that Sunday March the 17th the teenager's parents were informed that their son wasn't going to survive his injuries after a visit from a priest Lawrence Haggart was taken off life support and he passed away Peacefully. Lawrence's death sent shockwaves through the whole community and his fellow team members. Celtic manager Tommy Burns, who had signed Lawrence, expressed his condolences on behalf of the whole club to the teenager's parents. It was difficult to comprehend how such a promising young man's life had been cut short in such a sudden and brutal way, as if this week of 1996 had not already been horrifying enough for the people of Scotland. Just a few days earlier, on March the 13th, 
Thomas Hamilton had walked into Dunblane Primary School and killed 16 pupils and one teacher before turning the gun on himself, as featured on episode 32 of Somebody Knows More. The close proximity of Lawrence's death to the Dunblane Massacre meant that a much smaller force was going to handle the investigation into Lawrence's death. The post-mortem could not determine the exact number of times Lawrence had been hit during the attack due to the surgery he had underwent, but the teenager's injuries were consistent with victims who had gone through a windshield in a car accident. In addition, Lawrence had suffered severe burns on his feet and legs, and oddly, the killer had cut the number 110 on the teenager's shoulder. That same number was found on Lawrence's palms written in ink. Based on the fact that the teenager's body lacked any signs of defensive injuries, the investigators believed that he had been taken by surprise and never saw the attack coming. Next, the investigators pieced together Lawrence's final steps leading up to his murder. It was confirmed that the teenager had gone out with friends that evening to Ziggy's, an underage nightclub in Denny. A neighbour had seen Lawrence leaving his home wearing a white t-shirt, a dark blue and white striped top, a cream bomber jacket, cream-coloured jeans, and brown boots. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. After enjoying the night with his friends... Lawrence headed back home just before 10pm. Although his mother wasn't going to be home, the 15-year-old still didn't try to break his curfew. Lawrence shared a taxi with a friend until Bonnie Bridge, when the friend got out and Lawrence continued the journey alone. Apparently, the taxi driver had then left the teenager in the village of Camelon which meant Lawrence still had to walk for another two miles. He entered the family home at around 10.30pm, spoke with his brothers and picked up his duvet from his bedroom before getting himself comfortable in the living room. A few hours later, 
Lawrence Haggart was dead. Try as they might, the police struggled to come up with a motive for this brutal and senseless murder. Some suggested that Lawrence's death had something to do with his sign-in at Celtic and anti-Catholic prejudice, but the theories were quickly dismissed. Another possibility was that the murder had been sexually motivated. After all, Lawrence had been found wearing only his underwear, while the clothes he'd worn that evening were burning at his feet. In fact, a known paedophile was questioned by the police within 24 hours of the attack, but he was let go shortly after, despite providing an uncorroborated alibi. At this point, Central Scotland Police began to wonder, what if Lawrence had indeed been killed because of his success on the football field? There had not been any signs of forced entry at the crime scene, so could it be that the murderer was inside the home all along? Lawrence's 12-year-old brother, Dennis, was soon brought in for questioning. Dennis denied having anything to do with his brother's death, saying he was very proud of Lawrence's achievements. Still, there was a reason why the police were suspicious. John had told the detectives that on the night of the murder, Dennis had woken up surprisingly easy compared to normal, and that he'd had a disagreement with Lawrence just hours before the attack. Dennis had returned home later than he should have that night, and after arguing with John, the 12-year-old continued to row with Lawrence. This appears to be the reason why the 15-year-old likely went and retrieved his duvet from their shared bedroom and stayed in the living room. The police continued to hound both Dennis and John for months, even going as far as telling the boy's father that they had enough evidence to prove that 12-year-old Dennis was linked to his brother's murder. The detectives wanted Larry to speak with Dennis and dig a confession out of his son. Larry refused. Eventually, Larry grew so frustrated with the police and their ineptitude in solving the case that he planned to hire a private investigator to try to finally uncover the truth about what happened to Lawrence. But the truth is, the police had already had Lawrence's killer in their hands, but they had simply let him go. Finally, 18 months after the murder, Detective Superintendent Joe Holden took over the case, and he understood that Lawrence's murder had been way too brutal to have been committed by his own 12-year-old brother. But there had been another suspect at the time, a known paedophile, 33-year-old Brian Beatty, who had even been interviewed within 24 hours of the attack. Brian already had a long list of convictions for assaulting young males, including one incident in 1984, during which he had broken into a house and set it on fire. 
this was beginning to sound awfully familiar. So it wasn't long before D.S. Holden moved his focus back to Brian. As unbelievable as it sounds, for some reason, Brian's initial alibi was never confirmed and he was never pursued any further after he was questioned the first time. Brian was tracked down and brought in for a number of interviews, both on and off tape, and this time he confessed. The investigators had found pornographic videotapes in Brian's home, which included fantasy scenarios in which young men were kidnapped and used as sexual slaves. When questioned about the findings and asked if he had anything to do with Lawrence's death, Brian first began to cry and denied any involvement. However, during another interview, after the detectives had promised his words were not being recorded, Brian's story changed. Brian told the police that on the 16th of March, he had been in the neighbourhood where Lawrence Haggart lived. And at one point, he simply entered the boy's home through the open door that he claimed was unlocked. Brian had then found Lawrence in the living room, and he said the teenager got up after seeing him and said something, but he couldn't recall what. Without answering, Brian then hit Lawrence again and again until the teenager didn't move anymore. Brian claimed that he did not remember what he used to hit Lawrence, but he was quite sure that he did not bring any weapon with him and he didn't use his hands. Oddly, Brian didn't mention the number 110 that was cut onto Lawrence's skin and written on his palms. After the senseless attack, Brian then ran back to his caravan that was located near the Haggart family home and quickly fell asleep. Brian was unable to give any clear motive for the killing, but said that he had been distraught because of the Dunblane massacre. He continued by saying he felt guilty reading about Dennis and John being suspects in the case and wanted to let the family know that he was sorry. But, despite his confession and claims of remorse, Brian refused to sign the written confession. Nevertheless, on the 7th of November, 1997, Brian was charged with the murder of Lawrence Haggart. He pleaded not guilty, but the jury did not agree with his defense's version of events. Again, blaming Dennis for his brother's death. At the High Court in Edinburgh in May 1998, Brian Beatty was found guilty and sentenced to a minimum of 15 years in prison. However, Lawrence Haggart's case did not exactly end there. In 2005, police records revealed that there had been another potential suspect, Celtic youth football coach and paedophile Jim McCafferty. 
When the child abuse allegations and accusations of his involvement in Lawrence's death became public knowledge, Jim resigned from his position and fled to Ireland. It was then revealed he was a regular visitor to the Haggart home and had phoned the house on the day of the murder. What are the chances of Lawrence being in contact with two paedophiles on the same day? And furthermore, how did Brian choose the boy's house in the first place? Unfortunately, as the case is now considered closed, and Jim McCafferty has never been officially charged for the abuse accusations, we might never find those answers. Thank you for listening to this week's episode and thank you for your kind messages of support, feedback, positive reviews and of course your patience. I really do appreciate it and I love reading what you have to say. For transcripts, photos, credits and resources relating to today's episode, please visit www.truecrimebritain.com. If you'd like to access things like ad-free, early release and bonus episodes, I'd love you to consider supporting the show by joining me on Patreon, where you could get access to all that and even more rewards from just £1 a month. You can join now by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash truecrimebritain or see the episode description. Don't forget, you can also like, follow and or subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss a future episode. There are some big cases coming up and I wouldn't want you to miss out. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok and YouTube for regular case updates. Just search for True Crime Britain. If you're already supporting me on Patreon, you can find next week's episode already there waiting for you. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week, and please stay safe. If you are affected by any of the content featured in today's episode, please see the show notes or visit www.truecrimebritain.com where you can find links to further support.